0: 13, so if you would all uh, join me uh, to hear God's word together being read, um, we usually stand for as we hear God's word being read today, so if you would like to stand with us at home, it says this in Psalm chapter 13, how long Lord, how long Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day? Have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is God's word. You can be seated and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that in spite of our questions and our wondering how long, you are good. And God, you promise us, your people, to bring us to salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, help us to remember that good promise that we can say, but I will trust in thy salvation. In your unfailing love, my heart rejoices, and we will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to us. Oh, God, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope that you have... Um, your Bible's open if you have one. Um, if you don't have one, you can give us a call. Um, send us an email and we will get you one. Um, that's, that's our desire for people to have God's Word. Um, what I say doesn't really matter. <laughs> what God's Word says is what matters because it has life and it has power. So we're turning now again to the book of Psalm in chapter 13. Many of you have been active in our church <coughs> for the past few months. You know that we've been studying uh, a, a letter in the New Testament called Colossians. And we've been going through that sort of systematically looking at its message and how it gives us life because we've desired um, in our church to emphasize what is our vision. And we wanted to bring that vision out to you in a very clear way through the, through the letter to the Colossians written by the Apostle Paul. And our vision very simply is that our, that our church, that you and I, the people that come to this church together, and our neighbors, our family and friends would know Jesus and find real life. The life that you've been after all along, um, but, but that you need in, uh, uh, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, in Colossians, we're, we were basically talking about how the supremacy of Jesus is the source of our real life. And how we get that life through him. But considering uh, this past week, as I reflected on what is sort of our shared experience being um, sort of hold up at home and uh, many of us out of work, not able to enjoy what are the normal patterns of our life. Um, for some of us, especially in Rhode Island, this, this is maybe a, a slight inconvenience, um, but for others, it's a scary time. You're out of work, you're running out of money, and you're wondering if an aunt or an uncle has become ill. There's diff- we're all experiencing different levels of what might be this experience. But nevertheless, we're experiencing it together. There are even nations right now that are in much more serious trouble than ours. Um, so I thought it was important in just reflecting and praying to consider the book of Psalms and what it has to say to us. So we're going to pause for a little while on the, Col- on the book of Colossians, and we're going to take a look <coughs> at the book of Psalms. not the whole thing. The book of Psalms is very big. We're going to examine parts of it, um, and we're going to consider its message to us during this time, let me explain why. Um, in the in the Bible, there is a cycle of what theologians and church historians have called revival. In Scripture, there's a cycle of revival. Revival basically is when a group of people, whether it be um, locally or even globally, is awakened to faith in Jesus Christ. It's sort of a an awakening to a living relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, and throughout the history of the church this has happened in tremendous ways now in scripture we're given a theology of sorts of revival what are the cycles of it how does it happen Um, what we see in the bible is that this cycle always begins with revelation in other words god reveals himself to us um, through a word or through a vision or through through a preacher it could be through a bunch of different means but there's a revelation of God's will and purpose and word, of who he is and his love. He reveals himself. With that revelation, the next cycle comes, the, he- the hearer is turned to repentance, faith, and commitment to follow the Lord. They recognize their sin, repent of their sin, believe the, the Lord's revelation, and begin to follow him. The next cycle is over generations, over years, sometimes even over a short period of time, apathy sets in so revelation um, leads to repentance then eventually comes the cycle of apathy a forgetfulness a laziness a comfort and followed by idolatry so revelation repentance um apathy and then idolatry that apathy turns into um um vagrant idolatry worshiping of other gods living in a, a willful and sinful rebellion of what you formerly believed was god's word to you and that idolatry leads to god's discipline god brings his discipline and that discipline hopefully leads to another experience of of repentance of men and women calling out to god in repentance by which god again reveals himself and so this is the cycle god reveals there's repent reveals himself there's repentance and faith apathy sets in leading to idolatry and then God's discipline that God's discipline begins begins the cycle again to the revelation of God's word and repentance okay one case study that we can see is found in the book of Nehemiah of this happening so in in the old testament God had res- revealed him his will and purpose to the nation of Israel they were led by a series of kings that met, some of which loved, obeyed, and followed the Lord, but many of which had their hearts turned away from God and fell into idolatry. That idolatry led into what was in the Old Testament the Babylonian and the Persian captivity. The Babylonians took Israel as punishment from God for their idolatry. And what we see happening in the Old Testament book of Nehemiah is that this discipline going into the captivity of the Babylonians led to Nehemiah's repentance which in turn led to the nation of Israel repenting at the hearing of God's word, his revelation. And we read all about this in Nehemiah chapter 9. It says this, The Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law, of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. You see, the discipline of the captivity led to a repentance by the hearing of God's word and led their hearts back to revival, corporate revival, to love, trust, and faith in Yahweh. In the midst of the global storm of the Old Testament, God's people cried out to God. God heard their call and rescued them. And friends, in the midst of this global storm, God's people at Refuge Church must hear God, must repent, and must call out to him. Friends, I'm not suggesting that this virus is a judgment of God for sin, but what I am suggesting is this. Whenever trial comes, it always provokes us to, as God's people to recognize that what we need more than anything is not physical health, but spiritual health. It's life with Christ, not life on earth. You see, all of of this can be interpreted by God's people as a time to wake up, to remember our purpose, our call, our mission that God has put us on. He hasn't put us on this earth to make money or to be married or to have children. Those are all wonderful things and gifts that God gives us, but he he has called us for his kingdom to come on this earth. So in the midst of this global storm, we need to hear God as his people, to call out to him, if we don't wake up now, when will we? If not now, when? Oh, my hope is that through studying various psalms together, our hearts will hear what God is saying, his revelation, he's speaking to us, and that as his people, we'll be awakened from sleep will begin to love our lord and the world that he made that will be brought to repentance to a love for jesus and a compassionate service to his world so last week we opened up psalm chapter 46 and this week we're opening up psalm chapter 13 there's a difference i think between our christianity today and the christianity that the apostles lived in the first century I'm not suggesting that their churches look different, though they probably did, right? Or they, their fellowships were different or any of these things. I'm talking about what they believed. There's a difference. The first century Christians believed, they really believed that God had fulfilled everything that he had promised in the coming of Christ. That the promise of the kingdom that he, he gave long ago through the, through the prophets Of a savior of a king to bring his kingdom on earth they believed that jesus was the fulfillment of that promise what they how they talked about it their sort of creed was this jesus is lord messiah he is the one that god promised in the old testament to take back the earth that is broken by sin and was robbed by satan the first century church believed this. They believed that one, the one God who created all things remained active and in dynamic relationship with his creation. That God wasn't just a creator that was impersonal and that didn't have relationship with his world. That he had a purpose and plan. They believed that the one God who created all things remained active and in dynamic relationship with his creation they believed that Jesus of Nazareth was the proof of that. That he not only was the proof of these things, but that at some point, he would return to his people after our long and difficult period of trial, the church age, some call it, where we experience testing and trouble. That at some point, Jesus of of Nazareth, the resurrected Lord would return to claim what is his and what he won by his blood, to establish his glorious and never-ending rule in his presence forever on earth as it is in heaven. You see, friends, that is the hope of the church, that when Christ returns, the rule of heaven will be perfectly realized on earth, and, and the early church believed it. The early church believed That they inaugurated or started the beginning of that kingdom. That changed everything for them. It changed their purpose. How they identified themselves. They weren't just plumbers. They weren't just farmers. They were the inauguration of the kingdom of heaven on earth. And friends, as God's people, as his church, we hear his word speaking to us the same thing that God's people are gathered today to inaugurate what is the the king's will for his earth. You see, they believe this. The Psalter, what we call the book of Psalms, is that fundamental dynamic playing itself out. The living and relational God interacting with us in prayer. The Psalter is a prayer book it's it's god's will meeting the ears of man and man responding back to god it's a kingdom relationship a, an experience that we have today right here and now the book of psalms is god's word to man and it's man's response to god in them we find all of the love and the confusion and misunderstandings that we find in any human relationship isn't that true Anyone that has a human relationship with another human knows that there is confusion at times, misunderstandings at times. And friends, when we approach the book of Psalms, we see the the, the person praying, approaching God at times with that same confusion and not always understanding fully who God is. But that's always the human side. That's never God. God is never confused. God never (laughs) misunderstands us. That's always our, our role. The book of Psalms is the intersection of God's word to his people and our response back to heaven. It's where heaven meets earth in prayer. One author, one author wrote that the book of Psalms is God's prescription to a complacent church because it reveals how great and wonderful and magnificent and wise and utterly awe-inspiring he is. You see, friends, what we read in Nehemiah earlier is really an example of a psalm that went up to God, a prayer, a song. The nation responding to God's revelation, as such should all of us. We must respond to what God has said in faith. It's a witness to the great need of faith in God's people toward the great God ever willing and ready to help us. And friends, if we are careful to listen, it'll change your world. It'll change your family. It'll, just, it'll change your, your spiritual devotional life if you're a Christian. It'll change the way that you live, the way that you think, your fellowship with God's people. It will change everything. And it's to Psalm chapter 13 that we turn this morning. How long lord there's a very famous book called the dark night of the soul it's by a man named saint john of the cross as a as a christian grows in their faith if you're a christian by faith in christ as you grow you're always going to hit what saint john called a dark night of the soul Uh, there's a modern author named peter schizero who wrote a book called emotionally healthy spirituality he calls the dark night of the soul the wall every christian is going to hit the dark night of the soul or the wall we get a glimpse of this by the way what is this wall what is this dark night well you know it's talked about in the song of solomon in the song of solomon we have two people in love uh, uh, Two people sort of like in this romantic uh, engagement relationship being wed to each, ready to wed to each other in marriage. Then eventually in the, bu- in, in the Song of Solomon, they're married. So we get a glimpse of this uh, by way of metaphor. So the, the, husband, the, the husband in the story would be like God and we would be like the bride. Okay? So the new bride um, had left her husband knocking on her bedroom door they're married now in the story in the narrative they're married they're newly married and the husband is knocking on the door because he wants to be intimate with her so you do the math (laughs) he's knocking on her bedroom door but she's tired she just put her robe on she's half asleep and she's exhausted so she ignores the knocking She's too tired to answer. But then she realizes, what am I doing? I need to answer the door. My husband is out there waiting for me. So she puts her slippers on, runs to the door, opens the door, but he's gone. He's missing. And all she can do is detect his scent, his aroma, his smell at the door. So when she realizes he's gone, she runs into the streets and frantically looks for him but can't find him. He couldn't be found. Friends, that's the dark night of the soul. That's the wall. It's not losing your job. It's not a problem that you face in life. It's not, those things sometimes can provoke it, but it's bigger than that. It's a question. Has God left me? Where is God? That's the dark night. That's the wall. When you start to think that the God who promised never to leave you or forsake you Has done just that. When I was in my 20s, I went through a spiritual night of sorts. It wasn't my first and it wasn't my last. (laughs) It's just one of them. I remember going through this trial in my life with tears in my eyes, looking up to heaven, crying a prayer. And it was very simple it was a prayer that we hear in Scripture Jesus, Son of David have mercy on me. It's the, the only thing I knew to say. I remember one night in my room, I was just up probably for an hour, just crying and crying that out to God. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I remember like just having this quiet refrain of saying, God, if, if you're willing, you can make me clean, make me clean. I was so lost in that moment. But I was met with what seemed to me only silence. It seemed to me as God had gone somewhere else, that he had left the room. And this very morning, friends, I think we could all agree that there are some people on this tiny blue ball that we spin around in space on that are feeling the same way, that we're in a global twilight advancing to a dark and moonless midnight, And this psalm, I think, has much to teach us about anguish, about petitioning God, and about a resolve. And that's what I want to talk about. Because this psalm, in in Psalm chapter 13, addresses all three of these things. Anguish, petition, and resolve. We need to discuss these things because we experience them together very often in life. So let's look first at anguish. That inevitable beast sleeping at every door some of which of us call anguish. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And how long will my enemy triumph over me? How long will the devil win? The psalm begins with what one author calls a long, deep sigh. (sighs) How long? It's expressing deep, real, raw emotion to God. And the psalmist, by the way, is probably King David. And what's interesting is a lot of authors think that David is struggling with some sort of illness. David, not once not twice, not three times, four times, and one short psalm asks God, how long? And anyone who has ever experienced any real anguish in their life has probably asked the same question, how long? But if we want to add insult to injury here, the psalmist isn't just asking how long he's going to suffer, with some kind of like earthly trouble. He's asking God, how long will you hide from me? The psalmist views God's absence as the source of his trouble. How long will you forget me? Forever? And we might translate it like this God, have you completely forgotten me? There is a sense of absolute divine alienation that we see here and friends a truly troubled soul will narrow it down to just that where has god gone that's the dark night that's the wall how long will you hide your face from us do you think maybe that the children of israel when they were in captivity under the Babylonians and then the Persians, might have started to realize or think that maybe God had left them and that they were alone. David's asking if God had removed his promise to be merciful. If God has promised to be merciful and changes his mind, how can we trust any promise that God gives us? David is wondering is if God has reneged on his pledge, his covenant, to save him. That's what this phrase, hide your face from me, means. For to, to have God's face in the Old Testament means that you are under a covenant of love, of, of God's promise to keep us under his protection and care and love, to never leave us or forsake us. It's covenantal language think of a covenant almost as a contract. David is almost saying, God, you, you signed the dotted line, but now some, for some reason, your signature seems as if it's been erased. I knew it was there. I saw the ink. Where is it gone? He's wondering if God had changed his mind on his promise. Friends, salvation in the bible we use that word a lot as christians and sometimes we wonder what we're talking about if you're kind of new to christianity salvation in the bible is always being rescued from our alienation from god it's not salvation from getting us out of a jam or trouble in life sometimes god saves us from those things too but the ultimate salvation that he provides is restoring our relationship to him our creator um, restoring us to right relationship with him through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Sin has alienated us from him, and we're lost and separated from God because of this. So salvation in the Bible is always being rescued from our alienation from God so that we might see him face to face. So when David says, how long will you hide your face from me? He's asking, I thought we were in a covenant relationship. Where have you gone? Friends, mankind's greater virus and deeper deepest misery is very simply not to be in the presence of God's face to behold him face to face david's deep anguish caused him to wonder if god had changed his mind about him and oh and how many people listening today know the the sting of someone changing their mind about their love and affection for you a wife a husband a child Imagine feeling as if God had done the same. Where's the promise? Numbers chapter 6, Old Testament passage. The Lord make his face shine on you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. What happened to that? And David's crying out, where's that face that promised to shine on me? How long, he says, must I wrestle with these thoughts? They torment me day and night. Oh, and often when we find ourselves in life completely helpless, we have no resources of our own to change our problems, especially when it seems as if God has abandoned us, there's nothing that we can do about that. Our thinking starts to wage war on itself, adding insult to injury. What seems to be David's lonely conclusion is that his suffering is directly related to God abandoning him. He no longer Stood in the light of his face. So day after day, he knows only sorrow in his inmost being. All that remains are his enemies. How long they win? How long will they triumph over me? They're winning. In scripture, the Christian's enemies are varied they're death, they're evil in the world, they're evil in our heart called the flesh. Why are they winning? How long will they win? Friends, in Scripture, if we truly believe that the Lord has abandoned us, any opponent is now a threat. The smallest problem can become, in our thinking, the greatest danger. I think it's important to pause here and consider the question that we might ask God in the face of, of what is this global virus. We might ask God, how long will this sickness spread? It's a fair question. It's causing a lot of suffering. And who wants people to suffer? Nobody. So we might ask that question, how long will this virus spread? But we might ask a different question because there's a better question, I think, a more important one. How long will we be without you? How long Will humanity not have the face of God shine on them? Because we can be healthy and well. We can have lots of money. But if we don't have God, we have nothing. What's more important, our physical health or eternal life? The presence and favor of a loving God, our Savior and Lord. So David moves from anguish to petition. And so should we. He doesn't just stop in the misery of his own situation in that moment of his feelings. He's feeling a certain way. He moves from those feelings and he begins to ask God for certain things. He makes petition. Those are requests of God. And let's look at what David asks God. He says, look on me and answer. Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. And my enemy will say I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. He says, look on me, answer, Lord, give light to my eyes, or I'll sleep in death. There's a really classic statement on this that I want to read to you, um, given to us from that great uh, um, preacher and commentator, John Calvin. He said this, corresponding with his anguish and concern that God had left him, the eyes of his mind, guided by the light of faith, penetrated to the grace of God. When he saw not a single ray of good hope, he cries out that God had forgotten him. And yet, by this very complaint, he gave evidence that faith enabled him to rise higher than what he felt. And to conclude, contrary to, to the judgment of his flesh that his welfare was secure in the hands of God. Contrary to the judgment of our flesh, when we look around us and our judgment sees death and destruction, faith rises above it and believes what God says. If he really, if David really believed God had abandoned him, why would he be praying to begin with if he really thought god had left the room who is he talking to you see friends when we lift our voice up in prayer to god even if we feel he's not there the fact that we're speaking to him is evidence that we still have faith that he hasn't left because otherwise we'd be talking to an empty room Friends, we too must wrestle as God's children against these temptations not to conclude that God is against us because we experience a dark time. Friends, no. The darkness is rather meant to stir us up, to awaken us to life, to thirst for his presence again. Look on me, David says. Answer. Give light to my eyes. If you've ever come to God in repentance and faith, in Jesus, anyone who ever comes to God in repentance and faith, Jesus will always answer this prayer. When you ask God for light to see him, he'll give it to you the losses and the sufferings and the trials that agitate, aggravate, irritate your soul that promote your depression must be overcome by faith in the greater God who reveals himself to you. To believe not what you see around you but what he has said to you because he is God. Never let any, friends, never let anything stop you from seeking God. Never stop going after him. Never start believing that he won't answer you when you ask for light. Don't ever start believing that. Never stop believing that he will give you light when you ask for it. He prays, give light to my eyes or I'll die. If I don't see you, this is what he's saying. If God, if I don't see you, if you're not with me, I'm just going to die. Unless c- God causes us that light of his life, we're going to be overwhelmed by any darkness that comes our way. The, the world threatens us with a thousand kinds of threats. There's so many different kinds of death, isn't there? There's financial death. There's relational death. There's so many different threats that we face. But God's willingness and his ability and his power to restore knows no end. Do you believe that? There are three things that we see David asking for here. There are three in particular. Look, answer, give. Those are the three things. God. Look answer give look that's save me with your undeserved favor be gracious to me so when god looks on you to save you a sinner that we don't deserve the salvation it's a look of love a look of restoration for your soul look on me he says to restore my soul and make us brave he says look and then he says answer he desires a positive answer from God, a gentle answer, a word of love that will release him from fear. You see, friends, that's what we call out to God for, to remember that he is alive, that he loves us and provides for us, answer us, God, when we call, and he will. And he says, give. He's not asking from healing, for si- from sickness, or he's not asking for a new car or a new job. He says, no, he says, give give light to my eyes he's asking god that he wouldn't lose faith he's not asking him just to reverse him from the problems that he's experiencing in life he's asking him to believe him that he hasn't left him you know that yeah that there's there's one of the apostles named peter um he's credited with uh, the gospel of mark mark was basically talking to Peter about the gospel and Mark's the one that wrote it down but it's essentially Peter's gospel there's some letters in the New Testament that are penned by Peter Peter was that guy who jumped out of the boat when he saw Jesus resurrected from the dead just jumped into the, ocean, uh, into the water to swim to see him he was just an aggressive sort of spontaneous kind of man at the end of his life the apostle Peter as an old man was arrested and tried as a criminal because he was preaching Christ we don't learn this in the scriptures, we learn this from church history. But we learn about the Apostle Peter that at the end of his life, he was arrested, just, just like Paul was and many of the other apostles, for preaching Christ, he was arrested and tried. And church history reports that Peter was sentenced to, to execution by crucifixion. And Peter, as, he, as he's about to be crucified, asks the es- executioners, he said, I don't deserve to die like my Lord. Will you hang me on the cross upside down? And that day, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter, and by the way, his family with him, were crucified. Peter that day died in faith. The Lord did not deliver his physical life. He died. And his family died. But the enemy didn't win. That day, jesus one the the light of faith remains in peter's eyes and that's what david is asking for here that the light of faith that god's will will be accomplished no matter what it seems what seems to be going wrong around me that god is in control that there is a light and a life that he promises And that day, Peter believed it, and I hope that you believe it this morning. The light of faith in his eyes was undeniable. His enemies that day knew that though they killed him, they did not win. And his foes couldn't rejoice in his fall because he didn't fall. So all that remains after this in David's psalm is a resolve. There is anguish, there is a petition. Because God answers, now we are left with a resolve, a consequence. And what we see in the psalm is a sort of a door swinging on its hinge. At the beginning, how long, God? Where are you? Have you left me? Why isn't your face present? And all of a sudden, as if on a hinge, something completely reverses. But, he says, I trust in your unfailing love. Here he has a joyful refrain. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. What the heck happens to the David that was praying two verses ago? He's a completely different person. It's because of this very simple thing. He answered how he felt with God's word and believed it in faith. And though his circumstances had not changed, he had reason to rejoice it's as if he was saying i will not allow what i feel to contradict what god has said there's this um, astronaut that some of you might be seeing right now i've been seeing more of him lately his name is chris hadfield um he's a famous nasa astronaut and he instructs us that the way that we combat fear is with knowledge it's interesting And he talks about his time as an astronaut. He said, basically, they wouldn't enter into risky situations, jump into a rocket, terrified, and just sort of hope it worked out. It It was calculated. They knew what they were doing. They researched every possible contingency, everything that could go wrong. So they didn't jump into risky situations hoping it would work out. They learned and prepared and let their knowledge provide for them a refuge for when danger came isn't that interesting that's how i think most of us think and he's not entirely wrong i think the bible instructs us in many places not to be foolish not to be foolhardy to think to be wise to follow the counsel of wise people around us so we save we're precautious we listen to our doctors and scientists right now telling us to have service online we're not ignoring those things we're using wisdom but there's a, there's a, like I said, there's a door on the psalm swinging on its hinge. The psalmist feels despair and helplessness as, is, as if he's abandoned by God. Not knowing what to do. Thinking God had left him. But no, the Christian, in spite of how he or she might feel in any given moment, in spite of the losses or the dangers... These are answered with faith in what God has said. So the knowledge that we trust is not our own sort of planning or our own ingenuity, but what God has promised to do for us. We don't give up, and our feet don't slip. Not because we know everything, but because we know the one who does. Oh, isn't it true we don't know everything, but we know the one who does know everything. The promise of God's covenantal love is is unfailing. He says, I will trust in your, this is his resolve. I will trust in your unfailing love. Resolution number one. I will answer how I feel with this promise. I will trust in your unfailing love. His Hebrew word hesed. And that is a covenant that God has made to love and rescue his people no matter what. It's the covenant that cost Jesus his life. So I will trust in his unfailing love, not in the circumstances of loss around me, because these won't ever fail. When you cry out, friend, for salvation, he'll give it to you. But what salvation are you asking for? A good job? Health? Are you asking for his face to meet yours? I will trust in his unfailing love. His covenant love. His proven love. His purchased love with the blood of Christ. That's our assurance. And that's Our response to a lonely and battered and scared soul. So we resolve to do three things in this text. We resolve to trust in his unfailing love. We resolve to rejoice in the assurance of his salvation. And we resolve, get this, to sing. To sing the Lord's praise because he has been good to me. But I will trust in your salvation. I will rejoice, and I will sing. And you know who, who did this so well for us? We get an example for this of this in the New Testament, Mary. She resolved to sing. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She, when the angel promised her that she would deliver Jesus the Messiah, she didn't get bogged down with the danger that would be imposed by carrying Christ the Messiah, that he would eventually die a horrible death. This this was, if you look at it like that, this isn't a nice promise. This isn't a good gift. This is a promise of a very hard and very trying life for Mary. But you know what she says? The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She starts to sing. Oh, friends, can you sing in the midst of your storm? Because you know that through the storm comes the King of Kings, And that the kingdom of God will be established at his word and promise. And if it takes a little bit of our blood, sweat, and tears, it's okay. We're in it. You see, friends, the revelation of God came to Israel. And what they did was they repented. We've loved other gods. We've been apathetic. We've been asleep. We've forgotten that your kingdom is coming and that you use us to bring it. Oh, and friends, if you're watching this morning, if you're God's people, oh, I hope that you would turn in the same sort of resolve to trust God and to, be, to remember that He desires to use us as people to the same glorious end, that we would sing. You might be asking this question right now as I close. How long? Where are you? Why have you left? Friends, take your anguish to the God of Israel, And remember his promise to answer your request to save. He will save you. The King of kings, Lord of lords, will save you. Petition him for his presence and light. Call out to him for his rescue, and he'll give it to you. I hope that you will. Let's pray.